Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Proverbs 1 through 9 consists of a, a father's admonition to his son, or perhaps I should say, the father's admonition to his beloved son. There's a very real way in which this is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the beloved son, who does what his father commanded him. And that presents for us then the pattern that we should be thinking about. Because the point the father is making is is really important for us. All of you have parents. So when, when Paul will say, children, obey your parents, for this is you know, in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord, the father says to his son, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. When you listen to how the father speaks to his son, he's not saying, oh, you know, you just, just do this until you're 18 and then after that, who knows how things go. The father is teaching his son the way of wisdom 
And so when the, the, the whole point of the book of Proverbs is that this wisdom is supposed to then characterize us our whole lives. So insofar as your parents' teaching aligns with God's teaching, there is no expiration date on that. It's not that, I, mean, I realize, in American culture, when you turn 18, that's American culture. There's no sort of, at age 18, you can now ignore your parents. Insofar as the father is teaching his son, walk in the way of wisdom, that's not something that ever expires. If it's what the wisdom of God says, then you need to obey it, no matter how old you are. We, we, we live in a day when we are very much like Israel in the days of the judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. So it's... It's important for us to learn obedience. We don't like obedience very much, but that partly reveals our tendency to want to do things our own way and to know to not walk in the way of the Lord. And that's where as we consider what it means to obey your parents, this will this will apply to all of us. And I realize some of us our parents have died. But it's not as though the obligation expires then either. Obey your parents doesn't, isn't just a matter of... It's, it's, you see, I think one of our confusions is when we hear obey your parents in everything, we think that means, oh, so every detail of everything they've ever said, I need to obey. So when your father says... Ah, uh, you know, I'm 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 tired of I'm I'm tired of Joe. You know, go out and just can you just take him out for me? Does that mean, are you are you supposed to murder somebody? Um, because your father says, well, obey your parents and everything. I guess that means I have to go kill Joe. No. So everything doesn't mean everything. What does everything mean? It actually means sort of all sorts of things. It's not just. It's, it's not every, every last little command your father ever says. It's the everything, actually we'll see in Colossians when Paul says everything, he's already told us what everything means. So we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But just when you think about what does it mean to obey, the, I, would, I would suggest that what, what the father says to his son here in Proverbs 3 is at the very heart of the call to obedience, that we need to be people characterized by obedience. That's, I mean, it, I've, I've tried to avoid, as we go through Colossians 3, spending all my time over in Ephesians 5. But the way that Paul says it in Ephesians 5, he launches the whole admonition to wives, husbands, parents, children. With He starts with, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's, to be the, that's supposed to be what characterizes the Christian life, is a life of submission, a life of obedience. That's not just something that we, oh, you do, that, you do it while you're a child, and then once you turn 18, you can do your own thing. No, obedience is supposed to characterize us as Christians. Our New Testament lesson comes from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, hear now the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. So what does Paul mean by everything when he says obey your parents in everything? Well, actually, in verse 17, he just told us about everything. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And now, three verses later, Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So keep in mind which comes first. You are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So children, that means do your schoolwork in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. When you're reading or playing or whatever it is that you're doing, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does it mean to do something in the name of someone else? Well, it means to do it for their honor and glory. It means to do it calling upon him, relying on him, praying to him. To do something in the name of the Lord Jesus is to do it in and for him. So, you know, when when Paul says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, well, uh, so if you're robbing a bank, rob the bank in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know. So there are certain things that don't count as everything. Because you can't rob a bank in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's not, that's, so that's, that's obviously not everything. You know, you can't murder somebody in the name of the Lord Jesus. No. And in the same way, God says, honor your father and mother. So honoring your father and mother is something that you are to do in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you obey your parents in everything, when you obey them, you, you are giving, you're obeying your parents in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's what Paul says is pleasing to the Lord. Now, where else do we hear the language of children being pleasing to the Lord? 
in Mark chapter 1, if you actually, if you look over there, Mark chapter 1, starting in, in verse 9, we're told that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are present at the Jordan River. God the Father declares that Jesus is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. It's not exactly the same word in Greek, but it's very much the same concept. Jesus Christ is the pleasing child. Why does God say that he is well pleased with his beloved son? Well, because Jesus has come to earth for a purpose, the purpose of saving his people. Here at the Jordan River, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He is setting forth on the road that, that his father had prepared for him. As we think, you, know, you think about that whole Proverbs 1 through 9, the father speaking to his son. Now Jesus has come as the beloved son who is well-pleasing to the father and who will accomplish that which God had called the son to do. And at his baptism in the Jordan River, God the Father sends the Holy Spirit to anoint Jesus for his mission on earth. Jesus receives the anointing of the Spirit so that he might obey all that his Father has told him to do. You know, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil you know, that, in order to begin their ministry. Priests were also washed with water before they could enter the holy place. Here, Jesus is washed with water at the Jordan and anointed with the Holy Spirit, that to which the oil pointed, so that he might begin his ministry as prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and as he does, God declares, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Well, here in Colossians, Paul declares that you children... You who have been baptized into Christ Jesus are also now pleasing to God. Have you noticed here, children, that God speaks directly to you? I know some, sometimes you may, you, sometimes you hear the Bible being read and he's like, okay, God, he's, he's talking to my parents, right? Well, no, actually, here it's very clear. He's talking to you too. And he says that your obedience to your parents pleases him. Uh, Paul has told us that we have died with Christ. Our old nature is no longer what controls us. Paul has told us that we have put on the new man. Jesus Christ is your life. Now, that may sound a little strange. So who, who are you? What is your name? Who, whose child are you? If you've been baptized into Christ then you have had the name of the triune God placed upon you. You belong to God. He is your Father. To have new life in Christ means that you have a new family. You have a new name. You're not only the, the child of your parents, you're also the son or the daughter of God. We've had a chance to see, see this some, at times in, in adoption where a child is baptized into the church where it's it comes the, the way the way in which we become children of God is is not 
We're not born into the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God. And there's a very real way in which that's what our baptism signifies. As we are baptized into Christ and we are adopted into the family of Jesus. So let's look at what Colossians 3 says to us as children. Because, but we, we, we need to see that children are addressed in the same manner as husbands, wives, parents, slaves, masters. Some people think of children as not really being in Christ until they come to faith for themselves. But Paul doesn't distinguish between, well, those of you children who have come to faith for yourself. No, he's, he just speaks to all of the children in the congregation and says, You are called to live like this as well, because this is who you are. If then you have been raised with Christ, and remember we saw when we first, there are two ways of saying if in in Greek, one of which is if, and I'm not really sure that you are, the other is if, by which I mean since, this is a since. Paul's not saying if, and I'm not sure that you are. He's saying if and you have been, so that's why some translations render it, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's who you are in Christ. And so Paul says, because that's who you are in Christ, put to death, verse 5, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Sexual immorality will will tempt you. And oftentimes it's it's especially strong in your teenage years. And Paul says, put it to death. Covetousness will seek to draw you away. What is... What is covetousness? To, to covet means to desire something that belongs to another. Our culture teaches us to be covetous. Most, most, of, most of our social media is designed to promote covetousness. Most advertising is all about getting you to covet. But Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is putting something else in the place of God. When you covet, you are saying, in effect, I know better than God what I need. But Paul says, that's who you once were. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. I realize it's, it's hard to obey. All of us face this in our lives. But when you find it hard to obey your parents, remember that you are no longer the, the old man that you once were. You have put off the old self. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. You are no longer who you once were. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. I remember this again, those, the three circles I've been using. The inner core of who you are in Christ is no longer who you once were. He died. You have been raised with Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies. But here now Paul's talking about, but the problem is the flesh, those drives and desires, 
they didn't just go away when the old man died because we still live in the body. We still live in this age. And so those, those des- that's why I know for, for many of you, you hear Paul say this, I hear Paul say this and say, oh, you say that's who I once was? It sure feels like how I am now. But Paul says, no, that's not who you are anymore. Your old man died with Christ. See, this is, this is not, you know, Paul doesn't, uh, does, doesn't put this either in the realm of intellectual things that are just interesting to know or feelings that you should be, that, that you, that, sort of, it's, it's, this is not based on sort of how you think or how you feel. Paul says this is who you are. This is the reality for those who are in Christ. Now, over, uh, the, part of what Paul then is, is, is saying here is that over time, because that's, that's the, you, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So our knowledge and our experience should grow over time. And that now, but also, as we all know, our, it's, not, it's not a straight line growth. It's not like, uh, I probably don't need to tell you this, but the Christian life is not just a, Every day, a little bit better. Every day, a little bit better. That's not the way the Christian life works. The Christian life goes like, wee, whoo, whoa. <sighs> right? <laughs> in, in fact, I've, 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 some, I've sometimes heard it said that this, if, if this is... If, if this is the, 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 the slope of, of the Christian life where you're sort of, okay, there is, there is growth over time. and this will be good. The, the problem we often face is that there's, a, there's another line that's not parallel. And that's, as we, uh, the older we get, the fur- we see what we should be. And we see how, much, how far we fall short of what we should be. I remember in, in my 20s, I was like, okay, you know, I see where I should be. Okay, I think I might be able to get there. And, you know, now I'm way past there. But boy, do I see how much further. Because we, it's one of the graces of God to us. He never actually, or I shouldn't say never. Some people do get those moments. There are moments sometimes when somebody really does see what they should be and the, and the, and the depth and how far. I've had a couple of those moments. And those are awful moments. But... When you actually see what the reality is, and you're like, but that does happen sometimes. But God graciously doesn't make that the ordinary parts of our lives. He shows us He shows us the next thing we need to learn. He shows us the next place we need to go, and then once we get there, He'll show us the next thing. And that's a very gracious thing of God to do because He lets us grow step by step rather than expecting us to leap all at once, which he, he knows our frame. He knows our weakness. But Paul says to put to death what is earthly in you, to take off, to get rid of the, sort of the old man's clothes, the, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk, to don't lie to each other because you have put off the old self. That's not you anymore. So what does, does, it, does it mean to be who you are in Christ? So, children, why, why do you obey your parents? 
I mean, I suppose some of you, some of you might say, well, because I have to. Because if I don't, I'll get punished. Those aren't the reasons that Paul gives here. Now, some of you might be like, ah, because God tells me to. That's true, but it's missing at least half the point. Why do you obey your parents? Well, what is Paul doing in the whole chapter? Because the whole chapter is what Paul is applying to each of these types of people here at the end of the chapter. Paul tells us that we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And what's one of the first things he tells us to do? Children, obey your parents in all things. Why do you obey your parents? It's, it's, it's not because your parents are perfect. You, you probably already knew that. Your, your parents are sinners. There are times when your parents will sin against you. There are times when they will be too strict. When, well, to put it simply, they will be provocative. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Sometimes your father will provoke you. Sometimes your parents will, will do things that are wrong. And sometimes, sometimes they'll just be inconsistent. Sometimes they'll be insensitive to where, where you're at and what you're going through. That's hard. Especially because in our culture, and in every culture, <laughs> parents have pretty much complete control over their children for a significant portion of their, time, of their lives. And there are times when they're going to fail. But you don't obey your parents because they're so great or they're so wonderful. You obey your parents because Jesus Christ is wonderful. As, after all, he had told all of us, whatever you do, in everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, so when your father gets upset and yells at you for something you didn't do, yes, that, the, I've done that. I've, I've been the father who yelled at somebody for, do, for something they didn't do. What's the kid supposed to do? Well, your father is sinning against you. He's, he shouldn't be doing this. And if that's where, if sure, in one sense, if you have sinned, then he should rebuke you, but he should rebuke you with gentleness and kindness, as Paul says in verse 12. So what do you do when somebody is not doing what they're supposed to be doing? When somebody sins against you, you don't, have to, and you shouldn't, respond sinfully by getting upset at them. If you have new life in Christ, then you should respond to others the way that our Lord Jesus did. When our Lord Jesus hung on the cross, he forgave those who hung him there. And Paul tells, tells you that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The same Jesus who forgave his enemies from the cross is now dwelling in you, giving you new life and enabling you to forgive your parents. And I, I want us to think about the importance of verse 13 because Paul says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Complaints are important. So, children... You need to learn to complain well. Do you know the difference between complaining and grumbling? Grumbling comes from a heart that is bitter and discontent. The exact opposite of the new man that, that Paul describes here. Complaining comes from a heart that is compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Complaining, actually 
complaining comes and says, there's a problem here. It's, it's something I'm, I mean, I've, I've really appreciated some of my kids, my oldest son in particular, who you know, early on became a fabulous complainer. He learned very early on how to bring a complaint to his dad and say, Dad, I think you're wrong. I think you, I think you, in some cases it was, I think you misjudged me. In other cases, I think you misjudged my, my, my sister. My, I think you're wrong. I mean, that's a great complaint to say, you know, and he, to bring it wisely and well to say there's, there's a problem and to bring a complaint to somebody in a position of authority to say, hey, this isn't working well. I mean, for those of you who have been in business for a while, you, you, know, you can tell the difference between a good complainer and a, and a grumbler right away. They've got lots of grumblers out there who they grumble and whine and complain about... Uh, complain. You, you can, the word works both places, but, but they grumble and whine about everything. They murmur. And think about what happened to Israel in the wilderness when they did that. <laughs> did not end well. Um, but when you bring a complaint, you're, you're saying, hey, there's a problem and we need, we need to address the problem. Paul says that that in our relationships, we should be good at complaining. That we should bring our complaints to one another. And this is, it's, it's something that, now, uh, I, know, uh, this, I know this sermon is directed at the kids, but I, I need to say a word to the parents at this point too, because if your kids are going to be good complainers, then you need to be good at receiving complaints. Because when they come to you, sometimes you're going to feel like they're just grumbling. <laughs> Maybe they are, but that's where your job here is to help train them how to complain well. And that's where sometimes, sometimes you will have to sort of deny the complaint and say, no, I don't see that. That's not what's it. But, but that's where you need to also humble yourself. And when the complaint comes, say, okay. And there have been several times when I've been sort of like, not really sure about this one. I actually think I'm right. But I don't I, I, I don't want to be harsh and, and it's real I actually like what Mark said earlier in the call the confession. We are so good at defending ourselves and we are so bad at th- thinking charitably of others that oftentimes when a complaint comes to me, I will grant the complaint even when I think I'm right, because I might not be. And so my sort of, so that's where it's important to have the same humility that you're expecting your child to have. If your child needs to have humility to come to you and bring a complaint rather than grumbling, then you need to have the same humility in how you receive the complaint. And it's worth pointing out that since Paul is applying the whole of chapter 3 to these cases, Paul is saying that children have the right to complain. Versus, if, if your parents are being unreasonable in their expectations, then you should bring a complaint to them. I, so, let me, give, let me give an example. There was a, it's, it's, it's from a, a distant church, so you, you don't know the people. But, there was a young lady whose, whose father insisted that she take a, a, a certain major in college. She didn't want to. But she wanted to honor her father, so she, she started off. And over, over, after a couple of years, it, it, things weren't working. 
So what do you do? Well, she brought a complaint, her fa- and her father was like, de- denied the complaint. Is there any appeal when your complaint was denied? Well, she, she went to her pastor. Because if, if this is, if we're, talk, we're, we're talking about if a father is, being, is provoking his children and they're becoming discouraged, well, then that means that he's disobeying Jesus. <laughs> he's disobeying the word of God. And so, therefore, it's appropriate for a child to bring a complaint to the elders, to, to the people who are around them. Um, if your father is being unreasonable and arbitrary, do you have to obey him? Notice what she did. She, she didn't just say, ah, forget it, no way, I'm doing my own thing. Poof, off she goes. She brought the complaint to, her, to their pastor, someone who is in a position to help. Part of it is authority is supposed to be used to love and serve those who are called to submit. So if, if parents misuse their authority, they need to repent. They need to be called to account. If they are sinfully misusing their authority and they won't admit it, then, uh, yeah, that this is where I've, I've seen cases where fathers have been excommunicated for their insistence on abusing their authority. That's, I mean, so that's, that's where, that's what should happen when fathers abuse their authority. Uh, mothers too, but as, as, as Paul only addresses fathers, so mothers are off the hook for this one. Um, no, mothers are included, when, when he says fathers, he's, he's talking to parents. But, and, and I should also add that there, there can also be even more serious cases where somebody's in serious danger. And the proper thing to do there is call the police. Because that's what the magistrate is for, to protect people who are in danger. Um, so, and part of it is, if it's actually, it's actually an act of love to everyone involved. I mean, if, you, if you think, I've, I've often used this illustration of, of, how do you love somebody who has a gun who's pointing it at, at your friend? You might think, I, I love them. No, no, you're called to love your neighbor. You are, you, are, you are never called to do anything inconsistent with love. But if there's somebody with a gun pointing at my friend, the most loving thing I can do is do anything in my power to stop him from shooting my friend. <laughs> because it's not loving to let somebody be a murderer. And so if the only way you can stop him from killing your friend is to take him out, that would be the most loving thing you could do. So I mean, that's where that it, it, it's not inconsistent with love. In fact, it is loving him to protect him from the what he's about to do. So that's where you know we once we once had so, somebody called child protective services on us, and that was a really scary moment. On the other hand. As a pastor, I've had enough experience with CPS to know I wasn't actually all that worried because I think I know who made the call. And it was an attempt to, it was, it was a warning shot across the bow saying, don't mess with me or I will try to take you down. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's okay, whatever. We had nothing to worry about. It was, a, it was basically a hoax. They were trying to sort of cause trouble for us. 
And CPS saw it right away. They, you know, obviously, they did due diligence. They talked to their kids. They, but that's what they're for. It's, I mean, actually, and, and my whole experience with that episode, together with all my other experience in St. Joe County with them, is that the St. Joe County CPS does a great job. And, you know, it's a tough job. It's a really hard job. They don't always get everything right. But that's where, when, if the call needs to be made, it's, it's in order to protect people. And that's what the... Yeah, that, that that's you know, the, the, it's not actually, it's yeah, it's what we should do. Because Paul insists that we put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love calls us to consider the interests of others ahead of our own, just like Jesus has loved us. And he t- he tells us in verse five, fifteen, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does it mean for the peace of Christ to rule? Well, it means, what is it? how do I follow Jesus in this situation? The peace of Christ is what rules. The, the, the peace of Christ, it's, it's, not the, it's not the peace of Rome. It's not, it's not the, the peace of, uh, no, it's the peace of Christ. His peace is what rules, is what guides, is what controls my life. So obey your parents because you have died with Christ. You have been raised with him in newness of life. Paul addresses children just like he does parents, servants, masters, spouses. And he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is not just a, a mindless obedience. This is a walking in newness of life. This is the obedience of faith, taking off the clothing of anger and filthy language, putting on the clothing of kindness, mercy, patience, and forgiveness. You're called to be who Christ has remade you to be. You obey your parents not because they deserve it, but because Christ deserves it. Now, some of, some of you aren't really children anymore. You're at an age where you're making decisions a lot for yourself. Your relationship with your parents is changing. And there's a lot of struggles that go with that. It's a, it's a challenge to sort of, how, sort of how, how do you know how to do things? And for many in those years, your faith is it's, it's something that you've been given. Now, that's the way it should be. That's where it starts. A child must be taught even how to have faith. But the question for you is whether you will continue to walk in that faith or whether you will reject the gospel that you have been taught. And there's really no way to kind of walk the fence. Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 7 gives us a, uh, a picture. In, in Proverbs, there's a lot about the wise man and the fool. Uh, But there's a third character in the book of Proverbs who's referred to as the simple. Who are the simple in the book of Proverbs? It's easy to think of them as being sort of, oh, they're the ones in the middle. But in the book of Proverbs, the simple are fools just waiting to happen. Because as long as they stay on the path that they're on, 
they will never become wise. If they remain where they are, I mean, as the proverb says later, the, fool, the simple man believes anything. And that's what we see in Proverbs 7, starting in verse 6. He says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And while the theme of sexual temptation is the theme here, Folly takes the, it, it applies to any sort of situation. So this is talking about what sort of person will you be? And as the story continues, verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let your heart not turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. If you will not listen to wisdom, if you will not listen to the, to the call of, of, of the Lord Jesus, then you, this, is, this is the path you will be on. And Christ speaks through the voice of wisdom in the next chapter, in chapter 8, verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You see, the call to obedience is, is, I mean, it's not about sort of, sort of all the, you know, do, do I have to go to that school? Do I have to marry? The call to obedience is, is focused on obeying, obeying your parents in everything. Yes. What does that mean? It means to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, so often when we ask sort of how far do I have to obey, it's the same sort of question as, how far can I go with my girlfriend without sinning? It's the wrong question. It's not, that's, that's not the way we should be thinking. The question is, how can I trust, love, and obey the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I walk in the way of wisdom? If that's my question, I'm not actually going to wind up asking many of the other questions because when I'm following Jesus, pursuing him, loving him, if he is my life, then that's the way I live because that's who I am in Christ. So let's pray. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. Help us because we need your grace and wisdom. We so easily forget who we are in your son, our Lord Jesus. So help us to remember what you have taught us, that we might hear your voice and walk in newness of life as those who belong to Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.